Thank you. Toy Story 4, just to give you a reference. Now, it's interesting because the entire uh, movie was about um, how one, actually everyone, was exploring what makes them worth it, uh, their value. And, uh, you know, there was like a buddy, there's like a, the cowboy. Thank you. <laughs> Woody. Buzz Lightyear, buddy. Buzz, not buddy. And then, uh, you know, the various toys were exploring their value. Like, uh, where, where do I put my value? Who plays, like, how, who defines my value? Do I define it? Etc. And that's where we're coming into this morning. It's all about value. Now, this word is packed, all right? So, I, like, I understand that there could be intrinsic value, inherent value, extrinsic value, value, business value, moral value, etc. So, what we're going to, I'm going to just touch a little bit, it's just skimming across and just say, let's just touch off of word, the, the word value in general, okay? Value. How do you measure value? How do you define value? Skills, talents, uh, financial status, social status, uh, the number of likes you have on the Facebook page, influence maybe, network, net worth, right? That type of thing. Well, here's my thesis this morning then. How do you define value? How do you see value? Chances are, how you see that is how you see Jesus. Now, it's interesting, I didn't even say how, like, how you see Jesus' work, how you see Jesus' death and resurrection. I just said how you see Jesus as a person, all right? Because there's an important difference there, and I'm going to get into that. How do you see value? How do you define it? So let's move on to the next slide. Oh, yeah, it's right there. Okay, so here's, a, here's an example. And I'm sure Will can relate now that you have Melissa. All right, Annabelle has this. And she was given this when she was two, two years old. My brother, every, every kid has an uncle that spoils them. And my brother is one. <laughs> all right? So anyway, uh, Annabelle was given this gift, all right? And it's a white bear. Guess what his name is? Bear White bear bear. <laughs> all right? Anyway, so she values this bear a lot, like even till this day. Uh, because it's her security blanket. It's like her security. She talks to this bear. She, uh, like, you know, just does everything with this bear. Sleeps with the bear, etc. Now, uh, I'll show you a story. This is how valuable this bear is. Uh, when she was two, uh, and we were at Oak Ridge Mall, we got off the bus, and then uh, because we took the bus back then, and then uh, I was walking around Oak Ridge Mall, and then she goes, "Daddy, my bear is gone," and I'm like, "Ah." <laughs> right? It's like, um, and then I'm like, oh my, <laughs> like, you know, because I know how valuable this white bear bear is. So then I'm like, you see, I even name it white bear bear. <laughs> you know? And then I'm like running around, like rolling her around in the stroller all throughout the mall and everything. And then I end up on my cell phone calling Transling to see if I actually dropped the bear on the bus. So then they go, I can see that you're worried. Yes, we'll keep on, we'll take a look out for your white bear bear, <laughs> right? And then, um, and then lo and behold, after a whole hour and a half, uh, I even went to Safeway, you know, going around on a stroller. One guy tapped me on the shoulder, um, excuse me, that white thing under your stroller. And then, what is it? It's like, I'm like, it's the bear. <laughs> so I've been mopping the floor of Oak Ridge with the bear, <laughs> right? And then, so then I took it, I'm like, holy moly, it's like so dusty and black and everything. So it was not from white bear, but the black bear. But then, uh, but amazingly enough, mom has this um, amazing, like, you know, skill of turning this black bear back to a white bear, you know, like this dirty thing. Very, uh, you know, 
there's, a, there's an imagery there somewhere for Sunday school, you know, it's like, <laughs> anyway, you know, but now you know why it's so beaten up. It was never like this, right? It was a lot chubbier, right? But now it's just like, yeah. But to me, now, why did I use this as an example? Because to me, I see this beer as just a repository of germs, right? I don't see it as this valuable, right? I see it like, it's like a transfer of COVID-19. You know, like, it's like this, this, this conduit of germs. But then my daughter sees it completely differently. She sees value in this, where I don't. Why is that? Because this bear doesn't do anything, right? This bear doesn't do anything. It's just the sheer existence of this bear that is valuable. You follow? All right, run on that. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke 20. Because that's where we're going to begin. Now, we already covered uh, verse 1 to 19 last week. But so let's go into Luke 20, 20, verse 20, and let's begin there. Follow me as I read. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies. Now, who's the they? You have to read a few verses before that. It's not the Pharisees. Somebody said that. No. All right. No, no gold star for you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> just, just kidding. Chief priests. Because why? Because the Jesus just came in and out of the temple. Right? And it was the chief priests and the lawyers that were there, not the Pharisees. Okay? Got to remember that. It's the chief priests and the lawyers who sent the spies to spy on Jesus, pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. That tells you something about who they are. Okay? About the chief priests, the lawyers, and the spies. So the spies questioned him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and, what, uh, and that you do not show any bias to any governmental political parties, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us, then, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, show me a denarius, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said here in public and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Okay, pause. We have to know a little bit of the structure because you have to say to yourself, every time you do a Bible study, where will I see this again? Something about paying taxes. Something about paying tributes to something. It's a tribute, right? Something about paying. Well, if you have, you have your Bibles, you got to scroll, 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 and you go over to verse 41 to 21 to 1 to 4. Here, let me read that in the next segment. Then Jesus said to them, why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. David calls him, Lord, how then can he be his son? While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law, the lawyers. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now, the reason why I'm connecting 21 is because we're still on the theme of widows, right? Agree? So we got to move on. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Got to remember this. We were just talking about widows, right? How the lawgivers were exploiting the widows. So we had to continue on with widow's story, right? That's how you do a Bible study. You want to keep the story going. Okay, small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow who the lawgivers exploited has put in more than all the others. 
All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You follow? You follow this story, Elaine? Okay? Paying of a tax, paying something, a tribute, the widow, paying a tax to Caesar. There's your structure right there. Okay? It begins there at 20 to 47. It ends at 21, 1 to 4. That's our structure for this morning. Okay? So what's in the middle? <laughs> you might ask, right? Well, it's that middle where there's this confusing passage about the Sadducees asking uh, Jesus whether there's a resurrection or not. And I'm sure a lot of you who went through uh, that's this, bio, this passage before, you were kind of confused on what the heck was the Sadducees talking about and why was Jesus even referring to this whole resurrection thing. Maybe it has something to do with the paying of the tributes and the widows. Let's take a look. You guys ready? All right. Let's take a look at the spies first. We, like, we see the spies, they're, they're, clearly they're from the chief priests. They could be the chief priests themselves, just disguised as you know, normal people, right? Uh, and also the lawyers. So they, they go and they pretend to be sincere. But the, most key, the biggest key phrase here is about how they saw the Roman governor. What did the Luke say? The Roman governor had power and authority. Wait a minute. These folks are supposed to be Jews. Didn't they supposed, aren't they supposed to hate the Romans? Why are they thinking that the Roman government has power and authority? Well, these spies, these chief priests, you gotta know who they are. They're really, really chummy chummy with the Roman, Roman politicians. And so, when they see that the governor has power and authority, what do they really mean? What does Luke really mean? That they could use this power and authority for, to their own benefit. You follow? That they could influence this Roman governor and, have, and, you, and exploit their power and authority for their own benefit, so it's for, for their own uh, purposes. So this small little phrase really actually tells you something about what they value, power and authority that they can exploit. Right? It's not just any old power and authority. It's power and authority that they can use for their own advantage. You follow? So what's valuable here is anything that they can control anything that they can control for their own benefit. Why do they not like Jesus, the chief priests, and the, ta and, the, and the lawyers? It's not because he's not fulfilling the Son of David. They could care less about that part. That's Pharisee stuff, right? Why do the chief priests don't like Jesus? It's because they can't control him. They can't use him for their political or economical advantage. Instead, what happened? Jesus rocked their house, temple. Right? Overturn everything. Right? Their own revenue maker, the temple, Jesus sacked it. The very temple that they had control in to make money in, Jesus destroyed it. See, in their minds, what they see as valuable is what they can control. Right? They control the temple, valuable. They control the Roman governor, valuable. They control their money, valuable. Right? They can't control Jesus, not valuable. Get rid of him. Find ways to get rid of the guy. That's why they send spies. Following so far? But here's the problem. Jesus responds with something. After he, uh, the, the, uh, the spies go, okay, are we allowed to pay taxes to Caesar? Because you know, a lot of wealthy people, they hate taxes. We know that, right? Look at the Americans, <laughs> right? They really hate taxes, right? Apparently, Jeff Bezos, pays zit squat in taxes, right? Like he pays barely anything in taxes, right? So 
wealthy people, for some reason, they have a common denominator here. They don't like paying taxes, right? And so, of course, they would ask this question, right? Not only it's loaded, because if Jesus says, no, don't pay, then they have every reason to tell the Roman government to execute the guy, right? Because he's an insurrectionist. He's a revolutionist. He's like one of those guys who protest, so shoot them down. But then if he says, yeah, pay taxes, then everybody in the public would think, what authority does Jesus have anyway now? He has no power. If, you die, if we have to submit, like, if he submits, then we have to submit, then who do you think he is? He's not the king of the world. He's not God. You follow? So that's a really loaded question. So what did Jesus respond to? Uh, respond? What was his response? What? Show me a denaria. He says, show me. And it's not just to the spies. He actually said it to the public. Who has a coin? Somebody. And then all of you go, well, we only use digital, uh, you know, digital currency now, so we don't really have a coin. No, I'm just kidding. He went to the public and said, who has a coin? Did the disciples show a coin? No. Did Jesus have a coin? No. Did Peter, James, John? Nobody had a coin, right? Did the people, the public had a coin? No. Who had the coin? The spies. The spies had the coin. Coins are given by Caesar for the wealthy to keep their loyalty. It's like me with my Terminal City Club membership card. I cannot get in without that card, okay? And uh, basically, it means that I submit to Terminal City Club's rules and regulations, okay? And they scratch my back when I scratch their back. You get it? You follow? This coin is only given to wealthy people so that it remains, keeps them loyal. Because you know what wealthy people can do. So the Romans were very smart. They would only give coins to the people that they know that could cause some trouble in the future. So the spies were the only ones that had it, these coins. And Jesus goes, wait a minute, aren't you a lawgiver? Aren't you a lawyer who knows very well the law because you just questioned me? So pop quiz, hotshot. And to all of you, what commandment are they disobeying here to have a coin in the Old Testament? You cheated. <laughs> All right. In Deuteronomy, let's, let's take a look at this. So that you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. So watch yourself that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he made with you. And make yourself a graven image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has commanded you. Don't worship a graven image. Ten commandments right there. Right? Do not make a graven image of anything and worship it. What do they have? A graven image. Of who? Of Caesar. Who are they worshiping then? Caesar. Now, Jesus also knows that they are lawgivers, and they know the first five books of the Bible, and they know Genesis quite well. So, if he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, Caesar's and give back to God, to God what is God's, what, is, what belongs to God? Anyone who carries that image of God. So who's that? All of us. We are created in God's image, and therefore we belong to God. So when Jesus says, you belong to God, so give back to God what, it, what is God's, that's you. All of you. All of us. Doesn't matter how much money we have, it's all of us. You follow? So, however, Jesus' emphasis is on, actually, who are you worshiping then? And then the, the, the spies go, oh, you got us. Right? You got us. You bamboozled us. Like, you're right. We, uh, well done, teacher. But then 
you know, it's funny because uh, Jesus actually gave him an, uh, an opportunity to repent, to change their ways, but instead, they just left. They kept their coin, put it in their pocket, and left. And because of that, back to my thesis, uh, the point, how they saw value is whatever they can control to, for their own benefit. They missed the point completely that Jesus actually gave them an opportunity to repent, to actually give up the coin, to give it back to Caesar and say, no, I don't need this coin. I can count on God. I trust God and I repent. I will turn my ways and repent. And now we move on to the widow, the taxes, uh, the widow and the offering. See, they saw this value and they saw that the temple could control, they could control the temple. They also know that they could control the widows. Now, who knows what a widow is? Okay, don't answer, that's a rhetorical question. It's when uh, a married couple, right, and then one of the spouses die. Now the widow is the woman. To be a widow in that century, it's harsh. Because you are really, like, if you don't have a man in your life, uh, you're basically nothing, okay? But then, who manages the estate when the uh, spouse dies and you have no money to, or you have no skill to manage your estate that was passed on to you? A lawyer from the temple. Now, what, what did Jesus say? You lawyers, you exploited the widows until they had nothing. And we know that because the widow who came gave up her all to the temple. Whatever she remained left in her bank account, she gave to the temple. For some odd reason, I don't know how, but the Lord convinced the widow or managed to manipulate the widow that you have to give to the temple, regardless how poor you are. You better keep giving, keep giving, keep giving. And I'm sure today, you and I all know and her stories that there are bastards out there, really awful people that exploit widows. I know that there's grandmothers, uh, Rosanna could share with you some of her experiences, where there's some suspicious people that, that, that her clients come up to her and say, I need to sign off my authority to, the, to this guy because I really believe in this project. And she's like 80 years old or 70. You go, and then suddenly you go, what's going on, right? Are you being bamboozled? Are you being those type of folks? Jesus is saying, you are being that. Those lawgivers were cheating on those widows. They were tricking them to give to the temple. So things that they can control, right, for their own benefit, they tricked the widows to give to the temple all they have until they're down to two pennies. And she gave those two pennies away. How hurt do you think Jesus is by now? No wonder he flipped the tables on the temple. No wonder he went in very angry and saddened at the same time because he was crying, going, how dare you turn my house, my father's house, into a den of thieves? Why would he say that? is because he's, they're stealing from the widows. Down to her two cents. Now, I know you've heard a lot of sermons about the widow being very wholesome and then, uh, you know, gave up. You know why she gave up all her good she got? Because that's all she got, <laughs> right? They kept on taking and taking from her. It's not some pretty story of generosity. No, it's a story about how sickening human beings can be to treat widows. 
to continue to just exploit and take advantage of people that are lower than them, to trick them, to find ways to like, just bamboozle them. Now, here's a question for you. Are you doing it too? I'm not saying like in general. Like, I'm just saying like, we got to evaluate ourselves, right? When the, we see a waitress and they like, served us and everything, and then, and then suddenly we, there was like, a little bit of thing that we don't, didn't like. Right? Or do we withhold our complete tip on them? Do we complain about their tip? They're like, oh, how high the tip is? For PSA folks, they live on the tip. Right? We can't do that. We, got, we can't find the best deal sometimes to try to cheat our way into finding the cheapest price or whatever. We got to also have that mindset that, hey, these people also need to live and depend on it. Right? It, yeah, this is brutal what the lawyers are doing. But we also got to think about what are we doing then, right? So what is it again? What did they see as value? Whatever they can control. And unfortunately, they saw it so, they emphasized it so much into their life that they neglected what they have done to the widow. They had a command, pure and simple, in the Old Testament to not exploit widows. They were supposed to care for widows. And what did they do? They disobeyed the command. They didn't see the covenant as valuable. We know that the Ten Commandments was a covenant from God to his people. They just basically threw it away. And Jesus was saddened. That's why he wept before he entered the temple and wept after he left the temple. He just cannot believe what has happened to his people. Let's move on, verse 27. Now we get into the middle. Sadducees, who are those guys, right? Well, the Sadducees are the wealthiest elite. They are those of the elite elite, the old man's club, <laughs> the old boys club, if you think about it, you know? And uh, they're not highly religious, but highly political. So they are your uh, super PAC. Does that ring a bell to any of you? You're not Americans. All right, anyway, the super PAC donors, you know? Hobby Lobby, you know, that type of thing. All right, and then, so anyways, these are the Sadducees, right? They support political agendas who say there is no resurrection, let's read, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up an offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, and then the third, married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose light wife will she be? since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no, they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For him, to, uh, for him, all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law, oh, lawyers, right, responded, well said, teacher. Because you know why? They didn't like the Sadducees. Okay, you get it? The, the teachers of the law did not like the Sadducees. No one really likes that wealthy elite, those pompous, prideful, you know, dodge the taxes all the time, you know, everything. Right? And no one dared to ask him any more questions. Okay, following this? So a little bit of statement about the teachers of the law. They were hanging around. Okay, teacher, you bummed us out. Okay, are you going to bum this out of season? Yes, you did. Okay, great. Fair trial. You know, like, you, you, you trade everyone equally. 
Another story about the widow. The Sadducees, what was their intent? Well, right in the beginning, they said there is no such thing as a resurrection, so they want to prove themselves right. Why do they not want it the resurrection? Wealthy people, why do wealthy people, we got no former, what well, we do? No, we don't. Like, uh, like Hinduism, all right? Uh, there's a little bit of touch of Hinduism here. So the Sadducees, they go, I don't want Hinduism. Why? It's because like, uh, there's karma involved, right? Karma and also reincarnation, right? Resurrection, that whole cycle, right? So then, when they, so there's a little bit of Middle Eastern uh, uh, thinking here. The Sadducees, here's one, uh, one uh, theory of why the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection, is that they think that when they resurrect, they know that they've done bad, right? So what do they res resurrect into? Not a human being, but a toad, all right? Or something like that, right? Now, do they really want to do that? Because they'll lose all their wealth. So that's why they don't want to resurrect, right? They want to just, gone, right? In fact, they would rather believe in a religion, like an imperial religion, like in the Roman times, where you could actually be in the halls of Valhalla, <laughs> right? You know, like, where you could be a warrior and then they'd be in, the, like, Odin's, uh, you know, thing. That, you know, you know what I mean, right? You'd be honored, right? They would rather have that religion. They don't want some resurrection. Because they believe that if I resurrect, that's when I'll be poor, right? I won't have the money. And so, therefore, they're just really, all this whole riddle was all about, is there such thing as a resurrection? But Jesus knew their heart. He dug right into it and says, you know what? Neither. It's not going to be this whole marriage thing. This is going to be beyond you. This is going to be beyond what you can control, folks. There's not going to be a marriage or anything. This is nothing about human desires. It has nothing about human desires. That's the whole thing about this. We control because we want things that we want, we want outcomes that we desire, right? That's why. Sadducees desire to be wealthy and then be honored. The chief priests will want to be wealthy and, and therefore that's what they desire. It's their, and that's why they want to control, right? So we get this point now, right? The central theme of this is that value, well, how they saw value is what they can control that will benefit them. What can you do for me, basically? What can the temple do for me, right? What can the church do for me? What can Jonathan Chan, pastor, do for me? You better entertain me, right? What can you do for me? Jesus, what can you do for me? Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people, how people see Jesus, okay? And this is where I want to conclude. You know how, like in Christianity, we ask people, why do you love Jesus? What do you say? Because he, he did something, right? He loved us. How? He died for us, right? We always resort to what he did, not who he is. You follow? Interesting, right? Our Christian faith also have our faults. We, always, uh, we encourage people to say the testimony and go, okay, why do you love Jesus? Because he died for us. Ugh. It's because of who he is. God. We love Jesus because he's God. God, God, and God. God is love. That's why John, God says, first thing, God is love. There's no verb, no adjective, no doing. God is love, so you love God. Because God is love. Right? It baffles us. Because our human nature, we place value on people and what they can do for us. Follow? Not who they are. And that's why it's so troubling sometimes when in marriages, why they break up is because 
Oh, they can no longer do this for me anymore. They cannot make me happy anymore. They cannot please me anymore. They cannot do this, do that, not because of who they are. I love you because who you are, not what you do for me. I love Jesus because of who he is, not what he does for me. You follow? Yes, the crucifixion is great. We are celebrating that. Yes, it's that. But why did he do it? It's because we have the incapacity to love God of who he is. He had to show it. You follow? Because of our fallen nature. Our fallen nature that says, what can you do for me, God? Okay, fine, God says. I'll die for you. You get it? We didn't love God for who he is. We love God for what he did. But really what God says is, no, it's who I am. Because if, I, if it's, it comes down to the point of what I did, that means you're trying to control me. You're trying to evaluate me and you're trying to control God. You're trying to say, God, what can you do for me now again? And then how many times of us have we prayed that, God, what can you do for me again and again when we give him a list? How many of you have prayers right now of have lists? It's because we believe that it's all about doing that is the value. You follow? And that is the passage for today. That's the whole point of today. What, how do we define value? That's a reflection of a question for you for this week. How do you define value? Look at your, if you're married, look at your spouse. If you're, if you're working, look at your coworker. How do I define my colleague's value? Is it of who this person is or what he does? Right? Because here's an interesting, I, I told you that I'm taking a course at UBC, uh, project management, it's grueling. Like I said, you choose your poison. <laughs> but, you know, um, uh, we, we came into, a, it was week two, and we came into this uh, word called value. And they define it as the net quantifiable benefit derived from business endeavors. The benefit may be tangible, intangible, or both. Notice that it is a quantifiable value, benefit, derived, something has been done for me. Added benefit, another verb, done, something to do. Christians have to see this as wrong. Yes, they define it this way. Now we know how the world defines value. It's what can be done, what added value, what can they do for me? But how about for us as Christians? How does a Christian business professional view people? We should change our tone and say who they are. Loved by God. God's child. And that's it. Amen? Let's pray.